Hi, everyone, and welcome to the New Majority Investor Circle podcast, a podcast for everyday new majority investors looking to invest in founders who look like them. At the New Majority, we scan the top equity crowdfunding platforms for new majority founders, founders who identify as women, BIPOC, or LGBTQ. Every founder we feature is from underrepresented communities, building a company with a for-profit business model that has impact built in as measured by the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And of course, they're currently fundraising from you. Our mission is to close the racial and gender wealth gap through entrepreneurship and investing. With this podcast, we hope to give you a better understanding of who you're trusting your money with and how these founders aim to use your funds to have a broader impact on society while building upside. Today's guest and featured founder is Emily Owen, founder and CEO of Bipti, a mobility app for women looking for safe, sustainable transportation. So thank you for joining us, Emily. Thank you for having me, Mackenzie. All right. So I just introduced your company in one sentence, but how about you do it justice and give us your 15, 30 second uh, elevator pitch? Yeah, so kind of our tagline is that we are reimagining carpooling for public transportation. And what does this mean? It means that we are looking to scale the buddy system. So our vision is for women and gender queer people to have access to affordable transportation anytime, anywhere. And we're actively working to remove those barriers, such as feelings of discomfort, or simply like just not wanting to go someplace by yourself. You don't need to feel uncomfortable to do that. I love that. Also, that was 25 seconds. So you are spot on with the 30 second pitch. So, you know, I guess the follow up question to that would be, and how do you guys make money? So we'll make money through an application. We have a freemium subscription model, which means that our core value proposition of being able to match and be able to coordinate transportation that remains at the free level, but additional kind of community or access to people's profiles or being able to chat with people, kind of those com- more of those like community building aspects will be behind a paywall. Got it. And do you have an idea of what that paywall would be? Yeah, we're looking at $3 a month. Awesome. Okay. So very affordable, right? Very affordable. Kind of in line with the accessibility. Got it. Okay. Exactly. With that. So as a founder, I obviously know that succinctness and, and kind of clarity and pitches uh, doesn't come easy. Um, I found that a lot of the hard work on the pitch actually translates into clarity within the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and most startups do begin with an idea and then they evolve um, sometimes rapidly, right? Like, hello, pivot. <laughs> <laughs> but we really need that to happen so that the business can have like the real product market fit and, you know, true scalable growth. So I want to kind of go back a little bit and to hear what was the original idea for Bipti? And maybe it was the same, but would love to hear what was the inspiration and how it's evolved in, into today's product. So the inspiration came from the team that I was on with the Global Social Innovation Labs pitch competition in January of 2020. So it was a human-centered design challenge. It was over 10 days. We were encouraged to find a large kind of intractable problem in the social space dig into it by conducting a bunch of interviews and from those interviews, looking to see if there was a solution and what people were already doing to address their own problems. So my team talked to, I think, 15 or 20 college students in Bangladesh, in the capital city of Dhaka. And 
we started talking to them about, we thought we were going to be doing sexual harassment in the workplace. And really the problem that came up over and over for them was coming to and from home to school. And as we dug into that space, we found it was really, really limiting to them. So going and coordinating with their friends and going, just simply not being alone on public transport made the cheaper forms of transportation like exponentially more accessible to them. And so we were looking at something to, to match people together, like an algorithm kind of like Uber, but for travel buddies. So over the that was the very, very beginning. That was the pitch idea that won this you know, competition. I was on a team of five other women. And they've blessed me, encouraged me to move this forward. So, you know, they know life happened and this journey wasn't for them. So the core value proposition hasn't really changed. The core idea of saying, hey, having just somebody else with you in a public space on public transportation does open up more possibilities in that space for people. The logistics of it, though, have changed. So actually how to accomplish that um, has changed. You know, originally it was a Facebook community group, and then we were trying to do it in DACA, and then I lost my co-founder who's actually from that area. So somebody who's not from, who's never spent time in Bangladesh, she's not from that market. We did a massive pivot into looking into different markets. So started looking here in DC because this is where I am from. I'm American. I can dig into this market in a way that I couldn't in it, you know, in Dhaka. And so beginning to look at what are the reasons why women want this service here in the US? And in Dhaka, it really is for safety. Um, that is the main value prop. Here in DC, that's kind of a secondary nice effect. Really, people want to use it to meet other people, to not be alone. Loneliness in urban centers, feeling disconnected is a real big problem in, in the U.S. and in Western countries alike. So we realized that people were looking for the similar solution, but kind mm -hmm. of the problem that we were solving was more of a social problem. It was more of a connectivity and community issue than it was a safety issue. Got it. Okay, so we've evolved from well, we've evolved in our market, <laughs> like mm -hmm. who are our, our customer bases, you've evolved within the actual, um, I guess, channel or way that the, the value prop is delivered. And then I just want to pause and I want to bring back into the, the name 50. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean? Where is it from? And how does that relate to, to the value prop, the mission and the product? So 50 is short for Habibti which is the feminized version of Habibi. So it's from Arabic. Um, I spent time in Cairo, I lived there for four years. And it's what women might use with each other. Um, women use Habibi, women to women, but also Habibti is the feminized version. So you would never have a man talking to another man using Habibi. So we chose this name originally because again, we were looking at emerging markets to launch. We wanted something that sounded fun, that it sounded cute, that had a great story attached to it. And that was something that was obviously not English. So as we're thinking of scaling in different markets, a lot of times in non-Western markets, anything that's branded with an English name instantly becomes a luxury item. And so since we're focused on public spaces and accessible public transportation, we specifically do not want to be branded as a luxury item. We're not here to, we're trying to make cheaper and sustainable forms of transportation more accessible. And mm -hmm. luxury is often has an exclusivity kind of messaging to it. And we want to stay away from that because we, that's not the space that we see ourselves in. Interesting. Okay. I love that. And I love all the thought that's gone behind the name. You guys didn't just pick it out of 
of thin air. There's been a lot of intention behind it. And we can see that. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about this. We were talking uh, before about you went to Georgetown. Um, you're studying international development and education policy. It sounds like this idea came from um, a pitch competition, right? Uh, that was focused on human-centered design. And then at the same time, you're talking about business, value props, branding. Is this the path that you thought you were going to be on when you applied to grad school? No, absolutely not. <laughs> this is what, not the what path were you I thinking? thought I was going to be on when I was in grad school or graduating grad school. <laughs> and well, I guess with that, um, how's that journey been? Um, any regrets on going down that path? <laughs> Regrets? No, I don't. I don't have any regrets. There have been other opportunities similar to Bifty in my life to where I had an idea, a friend had an idea. Um, they wanted to move it forward with me and I was too scared to do that. So I've had two or three other opportunities to open businesses or launch something, you know, services or products that were really cool that I believed in, but I was too scared to take the leap and I've always kind of wondered what if. So mm. what allowed me to walk down this pathway honestly was having just on student loans being frozen. So knowing that my student loans weren't building up and I wasn't required to pay on them right away, I felt that I had a window of opportunity that was very unique to the pandemic and the time that we were in to take a risk where, you know, one of my major responsibilities coming out of grad school will be paying back my loans is paused. I had a window there to explore this question, knowing that I would be asking myself, what if, you know, we won three pitch, different pitch competitions. We won about $15,000 of pitch, many tons of encouragement, tons of support. And so I think if I had gone down a more, a less risky path, I would be sitting there going, what if? So for me, it was a question in my mind, not that it would be successful. I know it's going to be successful. It's how is it going to be successful? And I knew somebody was going to do something like this. And we, we do have competitors, which means there are other people working on this problem. And I didn't want to be looking at somebody else's solution 10 years going, you know what? I knew we were on to something if only I had. So yeah, I don't have any regrets in that way. It's not the most stable path to take, but it's a lot of fun. And no matter what the outcome is going to be, I'm not going to have that what if question with me this time. As a reminder, student loans were paused until May of this year. People of color disproportionately bear the burden of student debt. Yet at the same time, entrepreneurs of color and women, specifically Black women entrepreneurs, are starting businesses at a much higher rate. While student loans act as an extra barrier to entrepreneurship, and specifically people of color, new majority founders are still starting businesses at higher rates. I love that. And I also think that it's looking down the road 10 years, right? And maybe someone has solved it, but they didn't necessarily approach it with the attention and the impact and kind of where you started, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, is for for women in urban spaces who may not feel safe or may be lonely. So I love that. And I would say you haven't just started down this path, but you've been very successful up to this point. So I've got here that you've raised over 70,000 in funding for the pilot. You've mentioned also winning mm -hmm. multiple pitch competitions. 
Um, you've built the MVP. You you got to 86 users within the first 90 days. And we all know that it's not just about getting, you know, users and tractions, but getting user and traction really quickly. Um, and that was with just $200 in marketing. So yes. super scrappy. Like I would say, you know, on the edge of viral there. So first off, let's take a minute to celebrate those wins. And I would also say the keyword here, right, is traction. Mm-hmm. Um, and traction is evidence of product market fit, right? It signals there's a need. We already knew that, right? But it signals that there's also a customer that may be willing to pay for what you're building. Mm-hmm. And so thinking kind of about those wins and that traction, um, and you may have touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to come back to it around the founder journey and business growth. You know, you've you've been building for about a year and a half, almost two years now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not linear. <laughs> you know, there's big highs, big lows. It's not always up and to the left, which I feel like is a lot of the stories that we'll hear up in the startup world. Um, and it's obviously the trend line that we as founders are seeking and that investors are looking for. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about maybe some of those lows and kind of what has been difficult for you as a startup founder, but I also want to emphasize as a female founder, um, someone who was a co-founder, you lost that co-founder, so you're now a solo founder. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the experience, what it's been like as a female founder. Yeah, I would say the answer is, is all of it. Um, there, it has been easier in some ways than I was expecting. It's been harder in areas where I wasn't expecting it. And I do think the challenge is to see myself as a, just a founder working in a gendered space, um, understanding the complexities that my, you know, birth sex identity gives to me that I'm not going to be seen that though. I see myself that way. There are other mental models other people will apply to me that I'd have no control over. And so being ready and equipped to be able to speak respectfully, but also kind of assert myself in those spaces as, as a founder to be taken seriously. And that the fact that I'm female allows me to work in a problem space that remains invisible to many other people, men and women alike, you know, like, cause the problem space we're working in, you need to be taking public transport. You need to be out there walking. So if you've always had private transport, your whole life, this is also not a problem space that you would necessarily be familiar with, whether you're a man or a woman or gender queer or whatever, you know, so we're talking about several different complexities coming together. Mm-hmm. So I do get to see the problem and the solution in a unique space because of my gender. But I'm not sure that when it comes to being business savvy or good with marketing or messaging or that, I'm not sure that that has necessarily an edge in those things, but it definitely does. There are some real, very real barriers that my gender identity brings that you have to navigate it. They're not like, they're not barriers that you can't overcome, but no amount of me wanting to be a genderless kind of founder in this world is going to actually erase this barriers I will face. So. No, I hear that. And I love that. And I also, what I also heard you say in there is that um, kind of your identity, it 
going back to the human-centered design approach, I think mm -hmm. your identity, and also I know that you are a big uh, public transportation fan yourself. I am. Um, I think <laughs> what that means is I think that you're designing for yourself, right? So we always have this focus on the customer, the end user, and the beautiful part, kind of what makes you you know, extra unique, or I guess, or extra equipped to to be building 50 is you are your end user, you're designing for, for yourself and um, others who, who have similar experiences. And with that, that also allows me a different sort of access to when we do conduct user interviews or stories. I find that people are very, very willing when they know a little bit about my story, willing to open up with their real experiences um, and not just tell me what they think that I would like to hear, but, you know, actually tell me their real stories of lived experiences because they know that I also am walking through the same world that they are. It's not a, for me, it's not a theoretical space of, oh, I'm interested in this, you know, sustainability, mm -hmm. which I am, but like, I also haven't owned a car for 12 years. So like I bike, I take the bus, I take the Metro. I have in many, many different countries. This is, you know, I am transport dependent. And so, you know, I think when that comes through, it opens up a whole other realm of doors to for people to share their experiences. And that's where the community part comes in. They really, people do feel like, okay, I can be understood in this space. And as a quick addition, it's useful for company founders to know their space as a consumer. As someone who regularly uses public transport, Emily's both the founder and consumer of Bipti. Many other successful entrepreneurs have used this human-centered design approach Tobias of Shopify, Chelsea of the Financial Diet, and Sarah LaFleur of MM LaFleur. Always, almost always, ubiquitously, anybody would say I am most nervous when I'm traveling at night or late at night. And, you know, I have a healthy risk appetite. I am a rock climber. I'm a founder. I travel the world. And so I had to really dig into I started asking people to define what they meant by night or late at night. And really what came out was after dark. So in winter, that means like four thirty, five o'clock, which in my book does not qualify as late at night, but really saying that, okay, like it is daylight versus not daylight. That's a big hinging pin. So people say, oh, late at night, you know, like seven thirty, And I'm like, okay. So learning the lesson of really asking people to define these vague terms that we might all assume that we're talking about the same thing, but we're not. Mm -hmm. And also another thing that was surprising with, with our pilot, most people requested walks on Sunday through Thursday night in the late afternoon, mid evening for things like going to the grocery store or picking up a prescription or running errands. We were expecting much more activity on weekends mm -hmm. for things like partying or coming home from bars. But when we dug into that, it was clear that when it's an obvious risky behavior, people make better plans around that. But if it's eight o'clock on a Tuesday night, a lot of our users didn't want to ask their friends to walk with them to the grocery store because they felt kind of dumb about it. And they actually were much more open to talk to some rando person that they didn't know to go to the grocery store than their friend who they know is like in the middle of a big paper and to be like, Hey, you want to take a break and come with me? So those are two of the most, I would say most surprising findings. 
Interesting. And then what were, what were the changes that you're making to the product uh, as a result of, of those findings or, or you mentioned within the pilot? So we had designed the pilot to be kind of on demand through a ton of our user interviews. That's what we thought we needed to, to build for. And logistically and technologically, those are that's the most expensive, most complicated way to run this. So we decided to go the route of failing fast. So that's what we built our pilot for. And we realized pretty quickly that on-demand was not going to work, even when we were guaranteeing it, because it made people feel bad. So what does that mean? It means that people who were wanting to be a part of the community, really wanting to, to you know, show up for other people, when they got a text message and they couldn't respond, they felt bad. They were like, they wanted to be there for somebody, but they were off campus or they were far away or they were in the middle, they were at work. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. And so it made them less likely to open future texts because they didn't want to feel like they were constantly failing another community member. And on the flip side, people, women felt that they were interrupting another person's day. And so we didn't think about this when we were designing it, but a lot of this has to do with how women are socialized to interact and to plan. And so one of the major changes that we were making on the app is actually scheduling things in advance. Mm -hmm. So instead of having it on demand, having it so you, you know, up to a week or 10 days out, you can say, hey, I know I'm going to the airport at 5 a.m. in the morning, would rather take the metro. Is there anybody else around who's going the same direction or at least, you know, can ride me part of the way or is going to work? But like, I once I'm on the metro, I feel good. I was just getting to there. And so having more flexibility around being able to negotiate parts of the ride, be able to negotiate how it might happen, and actually having that scheduling piece makes people more likely to engage because they didn't feel that they were interrupting or that they were letting somebody else down. Yeah, I feel like there's so much we could dig into around like societal expectations mm -hmm. and, and that, but we'll, we'll leave that part for a different podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, I've loved hearing more about you you as Emily, right? And then you as Emily, the founder of 15. And I think that that helps our investor circle as well as potential investors really better understand you as a person, why you're the right leader to build this company into something that's nationwide, global, I imagine is, is the scale that we're looking at. Um, yeah. And then hopefully into a highly profitable and impactful business. So as we're looking into 2023 here, You've launched your first equity crowdfunding campaign on WeFunder, your first fundraising round beyond the grants, personal funds, the, uh, the couple of angel investors. So what are your goals or, or target milestones over six months, a year, three years, you know, pick your, pick your time frame. So our big <laughs> milestone for 2023 is to launch the mobile application and actually coding it all out having that complete workflow is about a six to eight month project. So our goal for quarter one of 2023 is to close our equity crowdfunding round of 50K, of which we are about 12,000 now. And in between that, in parallel, we'll be launching kind of our community. So we're actually building a community of women. We've made a group me channel and are going to be building that community in parallel to the application so that when the application comes out, we already have an engaged community that we can onboard immediately. And so, yeah, launching that into the market with users is the biggest milestone that we're going. That is our one milestone for 2023. Love it. And that's in DC, correct? 
Yes. Awesome. And then what are the plans? Like now let's dream a little, right? Two mm-hmm. years, three years, five years. What is, what's the big vision? The big vision is that we will develop a playbook here in DC that we'll be able to replicate. So my first employee and hopefully in the future potential co-founder lives in Istanbul. And that's also a city I know well, it's, you know, public transportation is big there. It's a massive city. Most people don't own cars. And so we're looking at that to launch after we launch in DC to replicate our launch in Istanbul with partnerships. So she's already working on partnerships. She's already opening those conversations with investors over there. She's working on that, that next piece for 2020, late 2023, 2024. And then from there to get investment and to be able to scale this from city to city. So we have kind of our top 10 global markets we want to be in. So yeah, and we've just- wow. In advance of that, we're, we've already started reaching out to those markets to build out because they need to be localized. You know, we need to understand, again, what is the problem that we're solving for? Is this the right solution? And then what are, what are groups that are already being done? So I know in Mexico City, for one, there's a feminist activist group that already have a massive WhatsApp channel that's active, pairing people together, be able to coordinate transportation. And so getting in touch with groups like that, finding other groups like that that are doing something similar and be able to work on the partnership so we can scale from city to city. And you are building basically the app, the tech, you know, the tech platform that all of these groups that you know are already forming or communities that are already thriving on just like a WhatsApp or something like that. Yeah. You're building the tech that's going to make it easier for those connections to happen and for those connections to grow. Exactly. I love that. I love that. And so with that being said, what is your ask to the new majority investor circle? Our ask to the circle is help us get to this 50,000. We've done enough research. We've done enough piloting. We've have talked to hundreds of people throughout the pilot. We have 150 users. We know what our funnel is. And now we just need to build the product. I love that. And I think about the, some of the stats when I go back to kind of fundraising, right? Equity crowdfunding is kind of a new form of fundraising. And I think about the VC stats in 2022, it was 1.9% of VC funding went to women. That was down from 2021 when it was 2.4%. In 2020, it was 2.3%. So we seem to be really stuck in the doldrums there. And I would love to see, you know, you as one of the founders following this equity crowdfunding round, right? Be one of the founders that really helps bump that number up. Um, and I love that our investor circle has this opportunity to really work alongside you. And I say work alongside you because when you are like an early stage mm-hmm. kind of ground floor investor, you're not just saying, hey, Emily, here's my hard earned money, right? Go to work. I'm really thinking about what are ways that I could provide um, introductions, mm-hmm. that I could provide key skills, developing, branding, marketing, whatever or maybe even revenue, right? As customers, maybe I'm an investor that is also a customer. So would you like to expand your ask to the new majority investor circle? In addition to financial support, what are some of the other key things uh, that you as a founder and Bipti overall need to get to Istanbul, to get to the next city? So you're right. The, the venture investment in women is abhorrently low. And I've been pitching to VC investors for the past three or four months. And the goalposts are changing, especially since we are going into a a flatter investment climate. Let's say, let's call it that way. Potential recession. People are tightening their belts. 
and they're taking stock as they should, you know, when you're investing somebody else's money, you need to make sure that it's a smart investment. The, what we see though, is we're a tech product. We're not a tech enabled product. We need our application in order to generate any revenue and to prove our product market fit. What we're being asked though, is that we need to build the application on our own, bootstrap the whole development cost, which is going to be around $50,000 to $60,000 and show traction and revenue in order to qualify for a VC style investment. So, and that's not just me. I've talked to many, many founders of you know different stripes, different places, different second to third time founders. They're all hearing the same thing. VC money wants, even at the pre-seed stage, they want reoccurring revenue. They want user growth. So my ask in the new majority community would be come alongside us, share us on our shows, socials, follow us on our socials, join our group me group. If you're a woman or a gender queer person, begin to help me build out the community, invite other friends into the community, coordinate transportation on our group me, even if you don't need it, even if you just have the time to go meet somebody or, you know, maybe you like a friend of mine who moved here overseas and she just doesn't know how to use the bus. She's a Georgetown master's degree student and where she's from, there just aren't buses. That's just not how people move around. And She's a bit shy to ask somebody <laughs> to teach her how to use the bus. You can use it for many different reasons. So yeah, join the help me grow the community. I can't grow the community on my own and I can't get to 50 grand on my own. But those of you who know the problem space that we're working in, that this is the solution that you use, you call a friend, you coordinate trans- with somebody, help us prove that concept by actually engaging with us in a meaningful way before the application comes out. I love that. And we will include all of the different links that you mentioned below, but do you want to shout out what are the places that folks can go to if they want to find out more, if they want to invest, if they want to um, join the group me or be a beta user? So the best place to go is to our Instagram page. We have our link tree, both on our Instagram and TikTok. And so the link tree will go to our website, will go to our WeFunder, will go to the WeFunder to close disclosure materials. You can go see our new prototype, um, what we're building, what it's going to look like. All those links are there. My LinkedIn profile, any way you might want to get a hold of me, it's going to be on the link tree. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for joining us today. We're very excited to, to lift up the work that you do. Um, the investment opportunity that you are offering the new major new majority uh, investors circle um, and beyond. So you can find Emily and her additional details on her current fundraising round on the new majority invest.com 50s campaign launched already. So hop to it. Early bird terms are open until that $50,000 is raised. And I guess don't sleep on it because there's a 20% discount with that. Yes. Early bird terms. And uh, and you heard it from Emily. We're aiming to close the campaign by the end of the quarter. So thank you again, Emily. And we look forward to uh, watching your continued growth. Thank you for inviting me, Mackenzie. Thank you, New Majority Investor Circle members and community for tuning in to our first episode ever. If you loved what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and share with another angel curious friend. A big thank you to our Investor Circle members who support our podcast. If you're not already a member, check out the show notes or go to the newmajorityinvest.com to join today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emily Owen, founder and CEO of Bipti, an app for women looking for sustainable and safe transportation around DC and beyond. This episode was produced by our amazing intern, Yalda Zarabi. 
Music created by Connor Locke.